Welcome to the Control Alt Azure podcast. I'm Yusuf. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Azure. I'm Tobias, and I'm back again with Yusi. What's up? Hey, Toby. I realized yesterday evening that I haven't bought any new clothes in the past two years. And I figured I really need to refresh a bit of my, my clothing that I have in my, in my garderobe. And perhaps for two reasons. One is that my Office 365 t-shirts that I normally wear at home, they are worn out now. And the second reason I've been doing fitness and gym, half of my clothes that I still own do not fit me anymore. So what I did last night, I visited an online store that sells clothes and I, I select t-shirts and I start scrolling. Okay, let's pick a few from here. It's 7,500 items. So I start filtering the list. I selected brands. There's like 100 or 120 different brands. I knew 30 of them. So I selected all, all, all the ones that I know. I've got 4,000 items now left that I'm scrolling through. And I am now on page six out of 75. And I've added two t-shirts to my shopping cart. So I'm quite confident that for the rest of the week, I'll, I'll spend my time viewing those, hopefully get my t-shirts next week. And they won't have an Office 365 logo anymore, perhaps something else. But um, that's been top of mind for me. How about for you? That's a lot of t-shirts in a selection. <laughs> um, I'm proud to say I own exactly zero t-shirts. I have dress polo shirts or whatever you call them, uh, or pique, we call them in Swedish. So I'm, I don't envy you having to select between 7,500 items. But uh, you could just go down to a store and kind of if there's a t-shirt you get it in your size uh, to remove the selection because this is like when you go to a buffet right and you always come out regretting your decision to get everything because you wanted to taste everything yeah so on my side i guess i'm typically swedish right now we're renovating our kitchen and we're getting a new ikea kitchen so to come in flat packages build it yourself which was the whole idea with ikea when they launched a long time ago but now for, for the kitchen, they now offer a service where you can go and you plan your entire kitchen and you do this fully online now over Teams. So you sit down with the, the kitchen personnel on Ikea and you plan your kitchen digitally. Then someone comes over to take the measurements to verify that you took the measurements correctly <laughs> uh, just to make sure you don't get something that doesn't fit. And then now they have an added service to that, which is flat packages arrive, they come and build it for you and put it in place. And in the past, it used to be that the flat packages arrived and then you had to spend two months trying to build your kitchen like Legos, trying to fit everything in where they were supposed to be. Now they have this as an entire service. So that's going to be my future probably this fall to at least do the digital planning of that. And then hopefully, depending on a lot of variables, I will have someone from Ikea come and actually put that kitchen in place. So we will have this typical Swedish ikea kitchen which i'm looking forward to. some quality stuff now you can get this real uh, stone benches and whatever you call them in english i don't know the tabletops or the kitchen counters in in really cool materials and yeah it looks really good when i review them online and i went to an ikea warehouse to review them on site looks really solid 
So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. I'm, I'm sort of envisioning now the new IKEA tagline, IKEA kitchens like Lego, but less fun. Yeah, I'm probably more. Exactly. Alrighty. So today's episode, I think this is episode 97, if my calculations are right. And we'll talk about durable functions with Mark Duiker. And I know I cannot pronounce the last name correct. So let's learn that in a bit. So, so welcome, Mark. Please introduce yourself and, and uh, let, uh, let us know what we need to talk about durable functions. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah, well, Duker was, was quite close. Yeah, it's, it's Mark Duiker, but yeah, the, the, the UI pronunciation is, of course, very about that. Um, yeah, uh, let's do a small introduction. Um, I'm a lead Azure consultant at uh, Experit in the Netherlands for the last couple of years. Um, I've done a lot of stuff with event-driven architectures and uh, serverless um, applications. Also doing a lot of stuff for the Azure community. Uh, I just posted my uh, unboxing video on, on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I, made, I made a stop motion video about that. Um, I'm also a co-organizer of Serverless Days Amsterdam. Uh, we're now on a, on a summer break, but in, in September we are live meetups again, and then hopefully then also uh, maybe a bit later some in-person events. And yeah, my, my latest biggest project is the Azure Functions University. It's an, it's an open source uh, curriculum uh, for people new to Azure Functions who, uh, who want to learn that. So that's, that keeps me busy indeed when, uh, when I'm not working. Excellent. So, so let me try the last name once more, then it's Toby's turn to try it. Mark Dyker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very close. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting it. Yeah, I'm nailing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. Can you say it again? Your Dauker. Yes. Yeah, there you go. I think, yeah, yeah we have it. Le yeah. Lessons learned. We're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so on Azure Functions, and, and I, I think many in the audience have used Azure Functions or are exposed to Azure Functions, and mm -hmm. they sort of know that that's the Microsoft serverless architecture. Mm -hmm. But I openly admit my experience with durable Azure Functions is, is close to non-existent. Right. So, so right. what are those between Azure Functions and Durable Functions? Durable Functions is like an extension. So when you work at for C Sharp, you just install this NuGet package. So it's an extension on top of Azure Functions, and it allows you to write stateful workflows in, in code. Usually any type of business process involves some sort of workflows. And so usually you don't do just one step, uh, but you have multiple steps you, uh, you want to do. Uh, and durable functions is uh, a great tool to multi-step uh, workflows. And what it does, yeah, it orchestrates different uh, function calls. So you can uh, have a sequence of calls or you can do things in parallel. And we can definitely dig into that a bit, a bit deeper uh, later. But the best thing is that um, it captures the state of this workflow. So you can, you can imagine when you're running in Azure Functions in consumption mode, and you only have, let's say, uh, five minutes of allowed execution time. I think you can stretch it to 10 minutes, but, but that's it. You have lots of automation you want to do in your function, and you might run out of that at that, that time eh, before your process is, is finished. So the nice thing of the statefulness of Triple Functions is that the state is uh, persisted to, uh, to a storage account. These days are also uh, more options. Um, so the, the state of this organization is, is persisted, and that means um, you can have very long running processes, uh, which, which can allow much longer than the total of Azure Functions in the uh, consumption model. 
So it, it is really great for also for short things, but you can also write orchestrations or workflows which can last days and days. So it's this very versatile uh, tool to use. This sounds like a very good thing. I like the resemblance you made with in C Sharp, just like adding a NuGet and with Durable, you just add that as an extension on top of, of functions. And we, we rely heavily on functions for some of the things we do. Mm -hmm. and we kind of save state as well. And mm -hmm. by passing messages through queues and into yeah. storage accounts manually, and like, exactly. then you kind of need to yeah. build your own orchestra thing to really work. Sounds like you yeah. get a lot of these things with durable functions. Yeah, yeah, totally true. Yeah, because in the, before durable functions, indeed, I would do the same thing. I would uh, provision a, a storage queue and have, have one the output of, of one function, put something on the queue, and then you have a, a queue trigger that then triggers the, the next function, and so on and so on. But it's quite some overhead you need to do then, uh, right? So, uh, and dual functions, yeah, takes away all that overhead. And it's in, it does use storage tables and queues itself. Uh, so it still uses the same technology, but you don't have to worry about it anymore. So that's just a nice thing. I know you mentioned that, like in C Sharp, you can add a NuGet. And um, mm -hmm. I, that got me thinking, I know in the past, I spoke to some people building a lot of functions. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are building with uh, C Sharp which mm -hmm. I'm doing myself. Some yeah. people are doing JavaScript or Python or F-sharp or PowerShell or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So what are the, uh, do you see like common patterns here? What I see from my side coming from the .NET background, .NET code, of course, because mm -hmm. that's the only thing I'm looking for. Yeah. What I am seeing in the community, people talking about other technologies to build their functions. Mm -hmm. We have mm -hmm. other trends going on here or you know, where is durable supported? Is it only for C-sharp or do, does it support this wide range of, of languages? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it definitely started from uh, .NET C-sharp uh, there. Uh, so that has been there the longest. Uh, but currently uh, there's TypeScript or TypeScript support, there's also Python support, uh, PowerShell support. And so it's, it's definitely growing. And so it's not yet feature complete with all the languages that Azure Functions support. So for instance, uh, there's no durable functions yet for, for Java, for instance. But, but I've seen some, some messages uh, going about that they are actually planning to um, also uh, make durable functions implementation for, uh, for Java as well. So the, the, right. the, the support need to have for all the different languages is definitely growing. But I think that most of the focus is probably uh, on, on .NET 6 to, to make sure it's supported on there. Because currently Azure Functions is working on .NET 5, uh, but Durable Functions is not available in .NET 5. And they're skipping that entirely until yes. .NET 6 is available. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, right. indeed. Because yeah. I, I recall something similar with other Azure Function features and capabilities that they kind of skip .NET 5 until it goes into the long-term support with .NET 6. Yeah, indeed, yeah. And because they're very, very focused on this model now is that the Azure Functions runtime is in a separate process than uh, your, your own code that, that, that's running and that yeah, puts quite some, some limitations uh, on, on it now. So indeed, but they're putting in a lot of, lot of work to uh, make it to make sure that's feature complete in, um, in .NET, uh, .NET 6. Then Drupal Functions would still be the in-process model. So uh, the, uh, your, your code would still run in the same process as the uh, runtime uh, process. But from .NET 7, the plan is that uh, Tuple functions should also work in the out of process mode. So then you are need the, the most flexible. So I'm back to 2007, and I know Toby will remember this year especially well. SharePoint Designer, .NET Framework, Windows Workflow Foundation. That was the 
that was the the diamond, if you will, in Microsoft stack in building long running workflows that would right. last for weeks and months. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. is it so that somebody looking at durable functions, the, the, the key reason to look into that as opposed to <laughs> Sherpa designer or something else is these sort of long running tasks and pro- there are other, other aspects why you would choose durable functions as well. No, there are definitely other aspects as well. One of the things is um, how about, yeah, that you don't have to worry about this overhead of ma- maintaining state somewhere yourself and doing all, all these queues yourself. But another important thing is that you can also have very uh, resilient uh, workflows because there's a built-in option to uh, retry function calls in case they fail. Yeah, so, in, so let's say you have a uh, workflow that uh, calls it, uh, three different uh, APIs, uh, but when one of the APIs fails, well, you might want to retry that, uh, those calls. And yeah, there's some, some built-in API, which you can use very, very easily to, um, to make sure you can retry that, that API call a certain amount of time, a certain amount of time frame, even with some, um, some backup coefficients to make sure that your workflow is as resilient as, uh, as you need it to be. So there's a couple of nice, um, yeah, nice things in the API itself, which makes it relatively easy to create these very resilient workflows. That's very interesting. And what it also got me thinking now when you see had to bring up SharePoint, Destor- SharePoint Designer <laughs> from the early days. One thing I'm thinking about now is like you can build these stateful workflows and you can build all these things. Is there a decision here to be made whether to use durable functions or something like logic apps? Or, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. there are other components where like looking back at, at, back at SharePoint Designer, that was a tool for anyone who's not in the SharePoint space. That was a tool to visually is right. kind of what the yeah. logic app designer can do for us today mm-hmm. so yeah and with yeah. durable functions you have to be kind of a developer so yeah. where does the decision lie here is there like a, a clear decision path or a decision tree for when do i use durable versus a logic app for you know any stateful kind of workflow right yeah i think it mostly has to do with um, what, what what kind of, of audience is, is, is required to, to to build your your products right i mean yeah if, if you have a team and you're proficient at, uh, at the coding part but they, they are indeed uh, very proficient in designing these these uh, gui workflows yeah okay then use logic apps if you do have a team of developers then, then you might opt sooner for uh, for the code direction functionality wise there is need a lot of overlap the strong point for logic apps is that they have literally hundreds and hundreds of built-in connectors yeah, to, to all kinds of external parties that functionality i think it's still in preview but that functionality of all the connectors i think that that's now been isolated into a separate service they also be made available to azure functions itself uh, all these connectors so it, it won't be purely uh, the only plus point for logic apps, but I think that will be extended to Azure Functions itself. The very useful thing for yeah, Azure Functions and durable functions for me is uh, that you can very easily uh, unit test your uh, orchestration. You can unit test your workflow quite easily. So you can just- It better fits into the entire DevOps and DevSecOps story to get yeah. all the existing teams involved. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. And it used to be that logic apps can could only be run in Azure. Well, right now you can also uh, locally because it actually uses the same runtime that Azure function uses. So there's, there's also technology-wise a lot of lots of overlap, uh, but on the unit testing parts, uh, yeah, there's still more benefits uh, by using durable functions. Uh, developers are most familiar with code and uh, hopefully they know how to write unit tests. So they'll definitely also be able to write unit tests for your orchestration. Sounds good. 
So I, I was looking at durable functions a little bit, and I have, and mm -hmm. so I'm by no means an expert. What I figured out is there's a bunch of different types of functions. Yes. Um, you have orchestrators, you have activity functions, entity mm -hmm. functions, client functions, and coming from just building your own kind of logic in Azure functions, which is like a mm -hmm. tabula rasa or a blank uh, tablet where you kind of yeah. just put your code. Mm -hmm. You now have different different types of functions you need to think about. You know, yes. what are the functions and how do they differ functionality or logically from, you know, a normal Azure function? Yes, exactly. Well, I had the dual functions, and so there's there's a specific uh, runtime, of course, as well, for yeah, a special extension for dual functions, which and, and that needs to be instructed uh, what function is the orchestrator function, and uh, what are the other functions that the orchestrator is, is calling, and then initiate that that orchestrator. Uh, so for for each of these things, there are separate function bindings, and, and these function bindings define the specific function types. Uh, so if we start with the, the orchestrator function, so there's a specific binding you need to use to instruct the runtime that the function you're writing is the orchestrator function. In that function, then you write your code and you write calls to different activity functions. Activity functions are then the functions that only do one thing. They only call out to a different API to get some data or they connect to a database to say, uh, post some data there. Um, so the activity functions are, let's say, the smallest units of work that, that you can get. So they should only do one thing. So the orchestrator contains then the workflow and that uh, combines then all of the calls to the individual activity functions. But the orchestrator need, needs an, an, an entry point somewhere. So uh, you, you need to create an instance of that, of that orchestrator function, so-called client function. So that again uses a specific client, client binding. Uh, and in that client function, that's usually quite small, that is triggered by any of the existing uh, trigger types, so it could be an HTTP trigger or a service bus trigger or queue trigger, it can be anything. But the whole purpose of that client function is to create an instance of this orchestrator function, uh, and that's it. Uh, so the, uh, you can do some 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 management stuff well in, in client functions. For instance, you can also terminate and, and, and long run the orchestrator in, in case you decide, okay, it doesn't need to run anymore, or you can check the status of, uh, of orchestration functions well in these client functions. I think that makes sense from where I'm sitting and, and listening to what you're saying here is there's not that many components involved. It's just if you learn these types and like the entry point being the, the client and then from yeah. there you trigger or start your orchestrator, yeah. you know, with whatever binding you have on the client. And mm -hmm. it's just the exactly. logic is pretty simple, but yes. when first looks yes. patterns and yeah. there's so many types and where do I even start? <laughs> do I need an orchestrator? What is that? But the way you explain it now, it's, it, it makes perfect sense. And if I were to build one now, I know exactly what to start with and then, you know, take it from there. So, so that's very insightful. Yeah, so, there's, there's definitely a recipe you need to shoot, shoot follow. Always start with a client and then create an orchestrator. And then from the orchestrator, you call the different uh, yeah, activity functions. The entity functions is, is something different on its own. So uh, we, we didn't touch on that, but maybe I can explain it a bit. But you can use entity functions to store um, a, a bit of state. Um, the, the state of the orchestrator is, is persisted, uh, but the, that means that the state of an orchestrator mean, means that uh, Drupal functions knows which activity functions have been called in that orchestrator. 
And so, that, so that's the state of the orchestrator. It doesn't know any of the uh, state for any private variables or something or parameters that you're using in that uh, orchestrator. So that's not, so it is, so yeah. So, so the state is, is just uh, which activities have, have been called and uh, which should still be called. Uh, but if you want to capture additional states, for instance, you're programming a game and you want to capture a and, and, and player name and uh, sort of a player health, for instance. Those are typical things that you can put in an entity function. So uh, maybe that's, that's more related to some kind of actor model, so you want to persist some kind of actor state. Looking at this big picture and, and sort of the specific patterns that, that you discussed just now, mm -hmm. is, is there any reason uh, to combine the two logic apps and durable functions? Because you spin up an Azure function to do something small that's that's a bit clumsy to do in logic apps. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is there a point in doing the same by running your main business process in a logic app, but then it would branch out to a durable function to do something? You definitely could. And then there's nothing that, that prevents you from doing it. But, but yeah, I, I would definitely wonder why you would do it, uh, right? Because then your business logic is then uh, split into different parts. And that, that that might make that might make sense. So maybe you have a, 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 a you, you start your business some very high over uh, process, and that maybe kicks off certain sub processes. Uh, so for each of these sub processes, you can maybe imagine okay, yeah, these sub processes are maybe better suitable in durable functions, and because maybe of, of all of the patterns we, we still might discuss. So yeah, you could definitely do it. But I, I think for, for simplicity's sake, I would always opt for okay, just choose one or the other, uh, because now you have yeah, two technologies you have to use and support and, and, and maintain and those kind of things. That, that, that clears it up. So, so running durable functions, perhaps, and eventually when you deploy those, mm -hmm. uh, do you always run them in Azure? Or can you also run durable functions locally in a development workstation or in a server that would be a virtual machine in on-premises. Yes. Now, luckily, you can you can run run it locally. Uh, so that's definitely one of the yeah I think also big big selling points of, of Azure Functions in, in general, but also durable functions. When you install the, the Azure Functions core tools, uh, which which uh, comes pre-installed with, uh, with with Visual Studio and also with with VS Code when you use the uh, Azure Functions extension, uh, that has a local runtime and uh, runtime has the same behavior as the Azure Functions runtime in, in Azure. So you can uh, run Azure Functions, but also Drupal Functions completely uh, locally. Uh, for Drupal Functions, because it's persist state, you do need to emulate that, that storage provider then. So the, the most basic storage provider for Drupal Functions uses an Azure storage account, uh, and there are emulators to emulate storage accounts also on your machine. So uh, there, there's a cross-platform emulator now that's called that's also available as an extension in VS Code, for instance. You can definitely have the complete uh, development cycle just uh, running and running locally without connecting to, to the cloud. So that, that's really nice. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm already sort, sort of sold out, sold with the idea of using durable functions. And, and Azure functions often, I, I perhaps see sometimes an architecture where one developer has decided, yeah, let's do an Azure function, then another, another, and suddenly we have 57 Azure functions. Mm. Is, mm. is there a similar or challenge with Azure durable functions, or is it more like you do less of the durable functions, you, you don't really have this problem of, of maintaining and managing them? Well, there, there's always a risk that 
people add too much functionality to an application and that application can be just an, an HP.NET Core uh, web application that can be a single ledger function that can also be a Dribbble function app. So th there's always a, a risk that developers put too much responsibility inside an application. I, I really like the programming model of Dribbble functions because you can have very easily to call some more activity functions to do more things for you. But, but indeed, sometimes it, it, it may be too easy. And so people are maybe inclined very easy to, to extend these things. So you should really be very cautious that you don't create orchestrators that are uh, very big and that, that call dozens of different activities and things like that. Uh, so you should be very cautious and really look at your at your domain and really wonder, okay, does this responsibility, does this belong inside this orchestrator? Or maybe does this belong in a separate orchestrator? same app, right? that, that's definitely possible. Or does this belong in a completely separate function app? So yeah, uh, that, that's a whole separate decision on its own, but you should definitely take into account the diff different scaling options, which you might need for different apps. And what happens if one app is down, do we still have another app that, that continues and things like that. But yeah, that, that's still something to be very careful of. Don't, don't put too much responsibility inside one thing. I, I think that's a common problem in any dev team that I've been part of. Yeah. over the decade, there's always a solution with code, right? Mm. But it doesn't mean that the problem actually existed in the first place. So there's there's <laughs> always, um, code can fix a lot of things, um, but it can also introduce a lot of complexity, which yeah. someone else might have to maintain or yourself later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So you mentioned here that you can scale up. And you know, in, in this sense, if you just keep adding stuff and scale out the amount of activities, you know, it can perhaps mm -hmm. become too complex. So I'm in, with normal functions, we're scaling out using mm -hmm. Azure Container Instances, which functions. Mm -hmm. So this is a way for us to scale out a lot. And we operate, I think we make maybe 500 million requests per week to mm -hmm. various services. And we pull mm -hmm. the data in and we store it. And yeah. uh, in the total, we have, I think, five or six billion storage account requests per month across a lot of storage accounts. Yeah, and right. so obviously that requires a lot of scale, but it also takes yeah. a lot of effort, you know, building that kind of orchestration and keeping mm. everything, you know, working. Yeah, definitely. And of course, we've designed it now in. It does work, and we do have everything under control. Mm. But what I'm thinking is, what kind of scalability do you have with durable functions? Because it's running on the same runtime. I'm thinking, whatever functions can do, you can do with durable. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But do you yeah. also see? Like for us running, you know, billions of mm -hmm. requests to storage account from functions, it, it was not possible. In the end, it was long or yeah. became too expensive. So somewhere yeah, yeah, we kind of yeah. had to draw the line. Let's move to containers for the heavy workloads and for the, for the hammer time. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then, mm -hmm. you know, keep the other logic in Azure functions, which is doing that very well. Yeah. Um, do you do the similar trade-off with durable functions and can you for example, have the orchestrator say, all right, this type of, of job or activity needs to be done in, for example, a, a container instance, and then start a container instance and do whatever it needs to be do, doing for 25 minutes, and then container and report back the state and say, I'm done? Or would that like require a totally different uh, type of architecture? Oof, well, a lot of different things are possible. Um, so you, you can definitely, let's say, uh, start a Drupal function, which is just running maybe in, in consumption mode and is using a regular storage account. And then uh, as part of an activity call, and that activity could then run something in, in a container somewhere else. 
that, that's totally fine. And, and once that, that is complete, uh, it can then call a, a webhook uh, to uh, the orchestrator. And then the orchestrator knows, okay, I'm, I'm done now. And so I can continue or I can stop this, uh, this, this orchestrator. So, so, so that's, that's one option. And because in these activity functions, you can do anything you want and you can call out to the different Azure services or the completely different endpoints and, and no matter, no matter where. And uh, so that's a solution. But, but there's still an issue of uh, the amount of, of load you, you can put on, uh, on a storage account. Eh? So uh, the, the number of requests you can do and, and things like that. Um, but there are different options. Uh, it's still in preview, uh, but there are different storage providers now. Uh, one of the different storage providers is you can use Microsoft SQL. So you can actually use a SQL database instead of uh, storage queues and storage tables. So I think that's, that's mostly for uh, the enterprise customers who are mostly accustomed to uh, using, uh, using SQL as a, as a storage solution instead of uh, storage accounts. Uh, but if you want a lot of performance, uh, there is another storage uh, Netherite, and that actually uses um, um, Azure Event Hubs. Uh, because that allows you to have a really big pipeline with, with, with events. Uh, and then it uses another storage provider called, uh, I think it's called Faster. Uh, it comes from Microsoft Research. So I'm not sure what, what the, I think it's using blob storage uh, on, under the hood. Uh, so uh, that is the fastest storage provider out there at, at the moment. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely send you a link which you can uh, put, in, put in the show notes uh, later. But that performance is uh, yeah, uh, a lar large increase over the performance which you can get out of the storage account. Yeah, that sounds good. I will definitely take a look at that. Uh, just like you mentioned, one of the challenges we have uh, and that we worked around is storage accounts uh, and, and throttling. You mm -hmm. can only put so much load on the storage account before it comes back and tell you, hey, hey, now you need to back off because you're really killing the killing the yeah. network here or, or killing the service. Yeah, so exactly. we, we scaled out our storage account as well. Mm -hmm. So per storage account, we get a new quota and we can keep hammering. Yeah. Exactly. And then when everything is done, we can kind of calculate the data. Yeah. But I, I also like this idea of, you know, not using storage queues and, and the built-in storage tables or storage accounts for the, uh, the default kind of connection to your underlying function, but instead say, look, we have, we know from day one, we're going to have only enterprise data. We have a lot of stuff going on, plug in SQL server or Netherite or any of these other like faster. Yeah. Uh, so I'm definitely going to check that out. Definitely going to try them out. I do have production workloads running where this could make sense. So yeah. that's a really valuable tip. Yeah, the nice thing is it only requires a different configuration. Yeah, so uh, the, the code with which you, which you wrote is exactly the same. Yeah, so it, uh, your, your code doesn't uh, depend on the storage provider, which is used under the hood. Uh, so that's very nice of this, of this pluggable uh, model. So you can, you can still start out as a storage account, but if you see, okay, uh, the storage account is, will not be sufficient. It's just a matter of, of configuration and then you can scale up to one of the other storage providers. So that's a great solution. So somebody listening on this perhaps weeks from now, mm -hmm. wondering already, I tried this out. What do they need? Uh, my understanding now is that you need Visual Studio Code, which is free. Mm -hmm. And then you need an Azure subscription where you can eventually deploy it. Mm -hmm. And yeah. do, you, do you then need the Azure Functions core tools on top of Visual Studio Code? Yeah, yeah. so if you want to develop Azure Functions using VS Code, yeah, you need to install the uh, Azure Functions install the extension. The Azure Functions core tools will be installed as well. Uh, so then you have everything to run locally. That also comes uh, with its own uh, CLI as well. And you can either use the CLI also for, for, for running and publishing to the cloud if you want. Uh, 
or you can uh, push everything to GitHub and uh, set up a, of course, a CI/CD. But there, there's not not a lot, there, not a lot that you need. But besides, then also the local storage emulator, the Azure Ride, which is again also an extension uh, on uh, on VS Code. Okay. But if I choose to go with Visual Studio, let's say 2019. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I hope and trust that there's still the right-click publish feature. That I don't have to worry about any of this. Oh, oh no, you see. Oh, uh, no, you did, didn't. Did, did you say <laughs> it? What? Yeah. Uh -oh. <laughs> it's, it's so convenient when you quickly need to test something and then you sort of forget that and, and it just works. Yeah, no, I had, this, this also needs, uh, runs perfectly with, with, uh, with the full, full Visual Studio as well. Azure workload in, in uh, Visual Studio, then you also have the uh, Azure Functions Core tools that comes pre-installed uh, with it. You would still need also a uh, local storage emulator there as well. Yeah, that might be included in the Azure workload, I'm, I'm not sure. But it's definitely available as a separate install. Interesting to learn from, you know, from the community if they use Visual Studio or Visual Studio Code for Azure Functions. Mm -hmm. so I, I use VS mm -hmm. Code for a lot of things, specifically yeah. for my other projects, I use Visual Studio because yeah. I have other tools and extensions in there that's not available right now in VS Code. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it would be really cool to understand how others are doing it. So mm -hmm. because there's nobody else here coding functions, I can only ask you right now, what do you use? Are you a Visual Studio Code person or a Visual Studio person? Yeah, now the, over the last one and a half years, I've completely converted to VS Code. I really liked the extensibility model for VS Code there, and uh, yeah, all the different extensions make it very easy to and not go to the portal, but to just do everything in VS Code itself. And also, man managing your functions or things like that. So yeah, it's it's only it's very rare that I need, that I need to go back to the full Visual Studio. I, I do it only for very big projects and when I want to do lots of uh, running unit tests in parallel and things like that. Uh, otherwise, I stick with VS Code. And uh... On the cost side, and I know this is a tricky question always, cost, but that's what my customers always ask me. So if you go with this workload, how much, how much does it cost? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so what's, what's sort of the model for durable functions in terms of cost in Azure? Right. Well, has, since it's just an extension on top of Azure Functions, um, has, so the, the, there's no, there's no uh, additional services you, uh, you use. Uh, uh, but except for there, there's more storage that you use. And like, like I mentioned, uh, so under the hood, it uses uh, by default a storage accounts. Uh, Azure Functions is storage accounts, but it just uses um, uh, blob storage. But Jubile Functions also uses queue storage and table storage. So you will have more uh, reads and writes uh, to, to these queues and, and tables. Uh, and luckily, that's that's relatively cheap. Uh, but if you have a super high workload, yeah, that, that means you need uh, lots of reads and writes to, uh, to the table storage. So yeah, you do have to take that into account. And you, you can make a pretty well-educated uh, uh, guess on that. It's definitely something to consider. Another very important thing is uh, with all types uh, we, we've talked about that uh, a client function or state function activity functions these are all separate functions and so if you're running on consumption mode you, you pay per function execution so if you have uh, an orchestrator function with three activity functions and you have a client function well you pay, you pay for the client function you pay for the orchestrator function you pay for all the activities uh, but it means if you do uh, these automated retries you, you also then Tries of, uh, of, of the function in case they failed. And another thing we, we didn't talk about it yet, but the orchestrator function uh, replace. So first start an orchestrator, 
uh, it, it will come to the line where you make the call to the first activity. Uh, then the orchestrator will uh, will go to sleep. Uh, the activity function will, will start and will execute. And once the activity function is done, uh, the orchestrator function will start again. And then it will uh, continue from the top. And then it will go to the next activity in line. So the calls you have in your orchestrator, uh, the more replays you will have of your uh, orchestrator function as well. So that's also definitely something to take into account. Yeah? So if you have just, if you start out with, with one normal Azure function uh, in, in, in where you do uh, five steps uh, and you translate that to an orchestrator function uh, with also those five steps, yeah, you'll, you'll have many more uh, function calls and then also a higher cost than one triggers uh, function. That's that's a solid point that I, I think people need to factor in. Too often I've been involved in a discussion on cost and Azure that we spend 45 minutes in a, in a Teams call discussing how much is this serverless Azure function going to cost us. Mm. And eventually we come to a conclusion that it will cost us 47 cents per month. <laughs> and yeah. then the next topic yeah. on the agenda is we need 10 1000 euro a piece let's just do it <laughs> oh, oh, okay because because it's yeah. new it's yeah. it's unpredictable as opposed to something like a vm or a storage account yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah yeah so indeed that's all yeah uh, doing these, these surface architectures it, it really requires some different thinking uh, and indeed things are not as predictable as just having a vm with a bit of fixed price uh, if you want full predictability you could still uh, deploy it in an app service if you want so you can still have that let's say uh, fixed cost per month as well, uh, if you want. But uh, yeah, you have to uh, do maybe a bit more scaling yourself. And the good thing is, all of the stuff that you do, um, all of that is available in, in your in your cost and, and, and billing uh, blade in Azure. So you can really see, okay, yeah, uh, dual functions was really responsible for all these uh, queues, reads, and writes, and things like that. So there's a very good breakdown of, of your cost. So it, it will become uh, very clear uh, how much you're spending on it. So uh, if you have some good uh, budget alerts on it, uh, that'd be a surprise. But it's definitely worthwhile to think about, especially under very high workloads. Uh, Toby, I'm, I'm done with my questions. Do, do you have more? I'm just getting started. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think so far we brushed on uh, a, lot of the, uh, a lot of the topics that you need to understand to, uh, to grasp what this is, especially if you haven't built them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, now you have a starting. That caught my attention now when you mentioned the retry logic. Uh, you know, if you activate this uh, built-in functionality, you try to do something, it fails, and then you want to retry, mm -hmm. which is a best practice recommendation for a lot of services in Azure. Mm -hmm. Try to put something in a database and the call fails. Well, then you back off and you try again. Or yeah. if you get throttled, back off and you try again. And this is a common mm -hmm. uh, development pattern. Yeah. So that got me thinking about uh, patterns with durable functions. I know that there's also training, uh, fanning in, fanning out, uh, async, mm -hmm, HTTP mm -hmm. APIs, you know, a bunch of different patterns. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What is a, you know, for someone now listening in and they just learned that you need the client and the orchestrator who will kick off some activity functions and, mm -hmm. and whatever, but that's like the architecture of, you know, the components involved. But then you have like the logical patterns that you can build in your applications as well. Yes. Common use cases here or scenarios where you would use like one of these or the other pattern. Right. Yeah. And so, well, uh, of course, it, 
definitely depends on hey, the, the, the business question of what are we trying to, to automate here. Uh, and usually when you deal with a workflow, you have uh, multiple steps. So uh, at a very basic level, you probably will start with uh, a pattern is called function chain. And so that, that means I start uh, with an activity function A and uh, once function A is completed, I want to call a function uh, B and once that's completed, so that's, that's the most basic example of, of function chain. Yeah, so so the, the, the order of execution is, is important because maybe there is an output of activity A that you want to use as input for a function B uh, and so on. Uh, so hey, you, you cannot run them in parallel or change the order. Order is important. Like a sequential workflow, just running exactly. from exactly. start to finish, passing yeah. all the steps along the way. Exactly, yeah. So and th that, that will be the, the most basic use case. And then function chain is, is perfect for, for that. Step, I, I would then say uh, maybe sometimes you can do things in parallel. Uh, maybe uh, some kind of example is useful. I, I wrote a, a Twitter bot and that monitors um, uh, GitHub repositories if there are new uh, releases for Azure Functions related uh, packages. Uh, so I have about uh, 50 different GitHub URLs I, I want to check um, and I do not need to uh, call uh, GitHub in sequence for all of these 50 URLs, right? I can. I can call them uh, in, in parallel as, as much as, as, as is allowed, because these calls don't depend on one another. The pattern uh, that you can use then is called fan out, fan in. Uh, so I want to call out uh, to, to GitHub uh, for all of these uh, 50 URLs. Uh, but, but before I continue, uh, I do uh, want all of these 50 uh, results to, to come in so I, so I can store them. Uh, so that's just a fan in part. Um, so that, that's another application. A pattern that you can write very easily uh, in, uh, in Drupal functions. So, so, so the syntax is more or less the same, uh, but you don't use the await operator uh, because you, uh, when you do this function chaining, you await the function. Uh, so that means the orchestrator stops uh, processing and will only continue once the result for the activity is done. But when you do this fan out, fan in, uh, then you don't use the await for these individual uh, activity calls. Uh, but for instance, you do a uh, loop uh, over, in this case, all of the GitHub URLs that you want to uh, check. Um, and in that loop, you call this activity A, you pass it in the um, GitHub URL, but you don't await the, all the individual calls there. Uh, but at the end, when you have prepared all those tasks, yeah, because um, let's say creating a list of all those tasks, because you want to execute uh, that list of tasks. Uh, so when you have these, that list of tasks, you can then await all of these tasks uh, at, at the end. So then you instruct uh, Drupal functions, okay, now you can go ahead and, and yeah, uh, do this as much in parallel as possible. So call out to GitHub, uh, but you cannot continue the orchestrator until all of the results have been received. So that's that's very useful, and then that really speeds up the, your... Yeah, sometimes uh, you just want to do things in parallel and uh, things don't, do not need to be sequential. So that works, works out very well. Very nice. And I, I think that recalls or reminds me a lot about what we have. I mentioned we have, you know, hundreds of millions of executions and we have one starting point. And that's a mm -hmm. message in a queue. Mm. A single function instance picks that up and realizes, all right, now I need to start this huge job. And it yeah. starts five other messages in a different queue. Yeah. And then pick that up. And then they, the result of those workers, are putting this into additional queues. And at the end, we have hundreds of millions of items passed through all these queues. And then at the end, we end up with the first function again, getting right. a message back to the queue saying, I'm done. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely see yeah. the fan out, fan in would be a pattern 
Mm-hmm. We actually mm-hmm. built that pattern ourselves, but right, right, yeah. this would be the way probably we would build our thing then mm-hmm. uh, in durable functions. So okay. if we do look at that, this makes sense. Yeah. So that's. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. There's a, there's a small variation to this because uh, you can instruct the functions to uh, execute all the tasks and wait until all of them uh, return. You can also do a task when any, uh, and then uh, you just want to wait until the first one responds. And as long as you have the first result, then you will continue. Uh, so that, that might be useful when you uh, want to query to different endpoints to give you certain result, but you only need one of the results to, to continue. So that's uh, uh, another example where you can use the same application. I think that is interesting. And I am now eager to go back to my product team and tell them, hey, look, <laughs> this thing we built, let's scrap it. <laughs> let's let's try this thing out. Uh, so it might be actually worth doing a proof of concept and mm. nothing else to to see how this fits uh, fits the bill. We we talked about the cost here already, you know, built on top of Azure functions, then you have the cost center and you have the cost control this way. Another thing that got me thinking here is because I operate a lot of the things we build as well. Mm -hmm. And I take it because it's built on top of Azure Monitor and on Azure Functions, you monitor it the same way as you do your normal functions, or is there something that sets durable functions apart to keep track of them? No, not necessarily, yeah. but you do get more information out of the log analytics. For instance, you have now information of your, your client function because you can, very, you can query your log analytics by, by looking at the different function names. So you can see of this of this function trigger. What was the what was the count of the of the function things like that, and and you get those for your client functions, your orchestrator functions, and also for your all of your activity functions. So you can get quite a, a bit of uh, say performance related metrics, uh, yeah, to to monitor quite closely uh, how is my orchestrator uh, performing. So you do get that out of the box. Uh, you do have to query it, it out a bit more explicitly, maybe yeah, because you're orchestrating a lot of more functions, uh, but a lot of that information is stored, so it, it, it's out there. There is one extra bit that Drupal function gives because the state of the orchestrator is persisted, uh, and that also contains some additional metadata. Uh, so it also contains uh, when uh, it was created, uh, when was it last uh, updated, and, and also what is the duration of that uh, orchestration. So there is more information, but that information is not in local analytics, but that's stored at yeah, which storage provider you choose. And so um, by default, that will be then in the table storage. So if you, if you want to have more detailed information about your orchestrator, because for instance, also the state of the orchestrator, I mean, the, the, the name of the state. So uh, the state could be running, it could be pending, it could be uh, finished, or it could be uh, failed. Uh, that's also captured in, uh, in table storage. There is a, a bit more meta information available that, that you can uh, query out. And Drupal Function does provide uh, uh, an API to query that information. So th- that's definitely very useful. All righty. I'm exhausted with information and I really need to update my Visual Studio code because it's been more than two days since I last ran it and it's always updating when I open it. <laughs> and I need to install the, uh, the, the functions extension definitely to try this out. Toby, did you have something you still want to add or should be a question? I, I think we got the, the gist of 
what durable functions is and how we can use them. And uh, this was very insightful. But I am curious about the uh, the unexpected question as well. So so this is two parts, and and you can choose not to answer the second part. Okay. So the first okay. part is um, for Mark. What's the best Dutch culinary dish everybody should try <laughs> at least once? And the second part, gentlemen. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think I'll be answering the second part in detail uh, uh, because I, I, don't, I don't want to get in a, in a fight with my southern uh, neighbors. <laughs> um, the Dutch, yeah, but I, I don't think the Dutch cuisine is very well known for anything, to be honest. Uh, but a, a winter dish I like is, uh, and in Dutch, is called a boerenkool met worst. In English, I think it's, it's kale, kale with, with, with potatoes, mashed potatoes, and, and lots of gravy and, and the sausage. Uh, so that's the thing I really like. Okay, I, I, I don't think I've never tried that one. Have you, Toby? No, but I will find a place uh, here in Sweden and I will ask for this. I might just bring the recording so I can <laughs> play for them. <laughs> so I don't have to try and pronunciate it. Uh, yeah. But Boom definitely worth trying it. Yeah. <laughs> so eventually, if we ever get to travel again in our lifetimes, and, yeah. and if, if I, when I visit Amsterdam, I will find a local, local restaurant and go, yeah, I need to try this one. Definitely, definitely. Good stuff. So we'll add in the show notes. Uh, Mark, we'll add your contact information in there. Also, their serverless days, Amsterdam, the Azure Functions University, and a couple of other things we mentioned here. Cool. Uh, thank you for joining us. This was fun. And, and thanks to everybody for listening. And until next See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.